When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Catch those springtime vibes all over Arizona. Break out of the winter blues by hitting the water at one of our lake and river parks. Take a hike among the wildflowers. Just make sure to stay on the trails and leave the flowers for the bees. Discover Arizona's best kept secret and visit azstateparks.com slash amazing to start your springtime adventure. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Get ready, Ohio. FanDuel, America's number one sports book, is coming to the Buckeye State. And to kick things off, you can get started with $100 in free bets as an early sign-up bonus. Plus, when you sign up today with promo code OHIOFD, you'll be all set when FanDuel goes live in Ohio. Then you can bet on all your favorite teams in all your favorite sports with $100 in free bets. Just download FanDuel's top-rated sportsbook app. It's safe, secure, and super easy to use. Ohio, this is your chance to get in on the action. Join today with promo code OHIOFD. Make every moment more with FanDuel, official sportsbook partner of the NFL. 21 or older and present in Ohio. Bonus issued in non-withdrawable free bets that expire seven days after FanDuel accepts its first real money sports wager in Ohio, 1123. Unique user identity verification required. Offer ends on the go-live date. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Introducing Guinness Nitro Cold Brew Coffee Beer. Blending the smooth, creamy nitro taste of Guinness with hints of coffee, chocolate, and caramel. Guinness Nitro Cold Brew Coffee Beer, your new favorite part of the day. Look for it where Guinness is sold. Must be 21 and over to purchase. Please enjoy responsibly. Diageo Beer Company, New York, New York. If you have a family relying on your income, you need life insurance. But finding the best quote shouldn't take a lifetime. That's where Policy Genius comes in. In minutes, Policy Genius could save you 50% or more simply by comparing quotes from America's top insurers. Once you apply, the Policy Genius team handles all the paperwork and red tape. To save on life insurance and get protection for you and your family, head to policygenius.com today. All right, film study for Ken McCusick. We've got 13 weeks down. The Ravens had a nice uh, victory on Sunday we're going to talk about in just a moment. So they are now 7-5. and five. Ken McCusick, how are you doing? Life's good, Josh. How are you doing? I'm, I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Um, yesterday the Ravens game was fun. And it was might be the first time this year that I can describe a game as fun. Oh, if you don't, you don't yeah. appreciate the shutouts. You weren't having fun during no, no, the no. Miami game. You know what? You know what? The shutouts were a lot of fun, and I was hoping and I was hopeful for another one yesterday mm-hmm. with the way that first half looked. Um, but you know what? It's the first. How about this? It's the first time that I didn't roll my eyes at the offense. Okay. That the offense looked not only like a. The offense has been doing this bit the past couple weeks that I that I think is perfectly fine, where they're not good but they don't turn over the ball. Mm-hmm. And that's been nice. But now they actually looked good as well for, for a, a few minutes. Yeah, it was, it was a very big day for the offense. Obviously, they beat a good Detroit Lions team who, is, who still is on the fringe of the NFC playoff line at 6-6 six and six as, a, as a good quarterback. I mean, all the people who have been complaining about the Ravens not beating a good quarterback, well, this was certainly it. 
and they beat them very convincingly. Right, and that, I mean, and that's what we got to talk about today is the defense. Like we always do, we do the defense in our first show of the week, and it was really the first, I guess not the first test, but it was a test after the Ravens have become who they are. This was a big test of a quarter, good quarterback. And I know lots of people want to say, well, Stafford's not that good of a quarterback, but he's competent. And when you look at the list of quarterbacks we faced this year, tell me one of them that's comp- that's good besides Ben Roethlisberger. Yeah, well, he, uh, Stafford is the best. Not, Roethlisberger is not as good as Stafford and at this point in their careers. And then you also have Mariota they faced. They faced Dalton. It's not like the right. Ravens played no good quarterback. Except- but I do want to make this point, that the, the, the Ravens – have won by so much and have held down bad quarterbacks by so much, you really need to take the Ravens' play against those quarterbacks out of their records and then look at those records again compare them to the league. And I think you find the Ravens were beating bad quarterbacks or any quarterbacks by a lot more than the rest of the league is beating those quarterbacks. Right, right. And that that's definitely something we saw uh, last week with where we – uh, crushed Green Bay into a shutout, and then the Patriots struggled with Green Bay. So, or uh, not Patriots, the Steelers. The Steelers. Um, but uh, am I biased to previous years, or are there no more great quarterbacks in the NFL? Like a few years ago, where we had Tom Brady, Ben Roethlisberger, uh, Andrew Luck, uh, Peyton Manning, all these guys at the top of their game, and I have trouble listing great quarterbacks in the NFL today. Oh, yeah, there's definitely been some younger quarterbacks that haven't worked out. Derek Carr is not really having the season everybody would have hoped he would have. But but Wentz is good and Goff is good. It's just that some of them are now in the right. NFC, I guess. And Geno Smith. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. So that was the fun part of yesterday's game. And we're going to dig really deep into the fun. But let's get the bad out of the way. Jimmy Smith went down hurt. Now, which is worse, Jimmy Smith going down hurt for the year or today's news of Jimmy Smith being suspended for four games for PED use? I mean, obviously both are very bad. And even though Jimmy can serve the suspension while he's hurt. Oh, he can? That, yes. All right, that's news to me. I did not understand that. Good, right. good job, Jimmy. Gonna... Way to hide that test until you went down. Well, he, he apparently was appealing it, and he's now going to drop his appeal. Now, if he truly was not guilty, it might still be worth it to appeal and then try and you know, try and make sure right. that the black mark is expunged. But given the fact that he's got four games right now where he cannot um, uh, right, you know, hurt the Ravens by being out. Right, he's, know, out, he's out for the season. It's a four-game suspension. There's four games left in the season. In a, in a way, it just it really kind of fits. Right. But, uh, you know, I, I want to look past this. Obviously, the Ravens have had some PED issues. They really need to figure out what's going on around the organization and how can they – reduce or restrict this from happening but it's just happening all over the place and, and that's upsetting yeah but, it, it's something that baseball dealt with a few years ago and nfl ha- has always had this issue and it I, it just it doesn't get the limelight i guess that baseball had with it right well it's such a big competitive advantage in the nfl and apparently there's all kinds of people trying to do various things they have a lot of very strict rules on what you have to do in order to get something approved before you take it. You know, you're the responsible as the player for whatever goes inside your body, right. yada, yada. So uh, it, it's it's a lot to get through, but there's still way too many suspensions. The Ravens need, need to figure out how to get their players not in the program. Right, but there's millions of dollars on the line, so there will always be people trying to skirt the line in order to get that extra million. That's right. Um, but let's let's forget about the PED. Let's talk about this injury and uh, where the Ravens go from here. Because Humphrey went in for Jimmy Smith after he went down. That's right. So you know the the nice news from this is that the Ravens have the deepest secondary they've ever had. They literally have ten guys that are plus to the relative to the replacement level at least players who are on the roster right now. They drops to nine with Jimmy Smith, but nine is all they ever activated. So they were deactivating Hill, for example, in this situation. Right. So the way I look to look at it is one position at a time. So if you start at outside corner and you look that now Humphrey and Carr are the guys, who's next up if one ha- something happens to one of those two? And I think the Ravens have an answer. I think they'd move Kennedy to the outside, which is probably his more normal position. Kennedy's played great in the slot, but he has the length to play outside corner, and it would be nice to see him uh, adapt to that where he would be more valuable, I believe. And then does that move Hill up? 
and that yeah. would yeah you, you'd move hill up to take over some slot corner duties and maybe share them with webb or maybe hill takes over uh you know you have multiple options there still even after you move uh, kennedy to the outside and then slot corner so hill would be next man up if something happened to either webb or kennedy but you know they, they might decide they wanted to move webb to another position then you have had then you have hill or they might decide they need to move Kennedy. Again, you have Hill. So you have another guy at slot corner either way. All right. Well, that's good to hear. That was my first thought when it happened was Jimmy Smith is having a, a, an amazing year, so that's not the guy I wanted to lose. But if you're going to lose a guy in a position, that's a pretty safe spot for the Ravens as far as depth goes. It's not Ronnie Stanley going down. It's not uh, Brandon. Mosley. It's not Mosley. It's not Williams. It's not mm-hmm. these, these guys that are – really really tough to replace yeah i mean mosley and stanley would be the two most significant losses right now and if you really think about it and and put them in a relative sense the the analogy i use is that the loss of mosley or sorry the loss of uh, yeah mosley or stan stanley is pompeii and the, the loss of jimmy smith in a relative sense is the springfield tire fire it's not that he's not a great player he is but just in terms of how much it impacts the team based on how good the replacement is and how right. good the depth still remains, you know, that's the difference in terms of what happens to your team. Okay. Um, so so you're not worried about a big regression team-wide because of this one move? I, I'm really not. I think they're covered at strong safety with Clark. I think they're covered at free safety with Webb if something were happened to Weddle. I think, I'm, I'm, I think they're covered at dime because Clark played fairly well in this last game and got additional chance. So I think they've, they've got replacements everywhere. I'm really not concerned that the secondary is going to take a step down from this move. Not a big one anyway. Okay, that's, uh, that's good to hear. I, do, I am going to miss Jimmy Smith. Um, he is one of the few guys left from that Super Bowl run, so it would be nice to have him in there. But it, it, it is exciting that we do have some of these young guys and can work out okay. Yep. Um, so let's talk about these guys, and let's talk about yesterday's game, and let's start with the pass rush. Okay, well, you can talk about the pass rush first if you like. The Lions were effective throwing the ball for 7.9 yards per play. But if you look at what Pease did, Pease really tried to do a lot of things in terms of generating pressure. He was fairly effective doing so. The, or the Ravens were fairly effective doing so. They allowed Stafford ample time on space on just 14 of 37 dropbacks. That's 38%. And we kind of yep. have to remind people that 50% is about normal. So 38% is pretty good. Um, unfortunately, a lot of those were ball-out quick situations, 11 of the 23. So the Ravens didn't actually generate the pressure, but it looked like the pocket might have broken down, but Stafford unloaded before it became a problem. So that was what the, you know, that's the differentiation there. But still, right. those, those throws tend to not be as long or not be as, not be as uh, big yard gainers. Looking at variation of scheme, the Ravens had six um, Pass rushes that qualified as deceptive, by my definition. They had 12 blitzers, they said, that were from off the line of scrimmage. And we've been talking about this in recent weeks. They've had two and three in some games. Well, 12 is a lot for one game. And that's especially for only 37 throws, not 50 throws. So it's a lot. And and Pease was really trying to manufacture pressure in this game. Additionally, he rushed six four times, seven one time. They'd only used the six-man pressure, six-man or more pressure, 18 times all season. So they'd been successful with it, but to see it used five times in this game is, uh, is impressive. It did not work in this game, well, not much. They ran four six-man pressures, and they had 13.5 yards per play on those plays. But then you also look at they had a sack and a turnover on those plays as well. So, you know, you, you take some good with your bad. And that's what really happened is the pressure didn't reduce the Lions' yardage. It created turnovers, and th- all three turnovers came, over a, came off a generated pressure. One was by Weddle, obviously, and the other two, there was a pressure by Smith that led to the interception by um, Humphrey. Humphrey got one as yeah. well. Yes. Humphrey. And then there was Kennedy's quarterback hit, which led to the pick six by Weddle. So all of those involved some form of pressure being generated against Stafford. So Pease had the right idea, and he, and he, and he was able to get his players to execute several times to, to make it happen. And that, and that's that's the big story for the Ravens this year is that turnover percentage. Oh, and, yeah, for the defense. Yes. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the I don't have the numbers in front of me, but we the defense uh, turnovers way outnumber what this offense has given up. 
Oh, yeah, 20, 20 uh, interceptions leads the entire National Football League at this point, and they have uh, the most takeaways as well, and they're, they're on a great turnover run now, so I guess they've been 6-0 and in the last couple of weeks. I forget what they were at Green Bay, but we could look that up. But there you go, they're on a great turnover right. run at this yes. point. Yes, they are. Um, 7.9 yards per pass when Stafford did successfully get the ball out. Is that concerning that, that it's that long that's almost eight yards or is that kind of the way the Ravens play with that soft secondary uh, it's a high risk high reward scheme so you know they had some big plays they gave up particularly by Humphrey in this game gave up two 40 plus plays and another one of 23 yards one of them was a really perfectly thrown ball no problem there the Ravens even had good coverage on the play it's just the ball was dropped in perfectly to uh, Ebron or I think it was Roberts actually who caught that one but then the two longer ones that are over 40 yards were both to Marvin Jones, and, and those two uh, were ones where Humphrey ran himself out of position and really had a chance at the ball. So it's, it's unfortunate that it worked that way. I don't think it's a long-term problem for Humphrey, and we'll get to that a little later in terms of what's happening with him and how he played in this game. All right. Uh, well, before we get to the details and really look at some specific players, let's talk about the run defense because that keeps getting better each week, it seems. Yeah, so... A few weeks ago, remember the Ravens had the worst run defense in all of football, <laughs> right. which was never really true. They gave up a lot of yards on the ground, largely because other teams were grinding out the clock on them in part. And, and the offense wasn't doing anything, so they spent a lot of time on the field. There you go. There you go. So it, it, certainly the Steelers was, was way to go, get racked up 170 yards with a power run game because that's what they could do against right. the Ravens. So, But anyway, they held the Lions to 78 yards on 24 carries, and now it's five weeks the Ravens allowed, have allowed just 335 rushing yards on 114 carries, and that works out to 2.9 yards per carry. So any of you people who are still concerned about where the Ravens rank in terms of yardage allowed to the run, I'm going to tell you not to worry at all at this point. Um, the Ravens' uh, deep run defense is alive and well, and I would be surprised if they go from this point where they are right now, and they're at about 3.9 yards per carry, to allow four yards per carry for the first time in franchise history. So, good spot for the Ravens to be right now. Right, because we got the Steelers, Bengals, Browns, um, the Steelers, Colts, yeah. uh, and the Colts in there. So, those aren't teams that you, you hope aren't going to push it that far up. Um, you mentioned the Steelers, and we played them in week four. Mm-hmm. The, this Ravens team is, is different and healthy now. What, is, what does that mean that we can expect from that run de- defense? We're not giving up 170 yards on the, on the ground again, right, this week? I, I, let's say I sure hope not. That would be really bad. A, a lot of things would tell you it'll be difficult. The first is the Steelers are going to be coming off a Monday night game, and I think that may make them a little bit more tired and weary on both lines potentially, but certainly the offensive line is a possibility they'll be a little dinged up. The, the Ravens didn't have Brandon Williams the last time, and they lost – they lost that run game in a lot of ways. They, they lost eligible receiver blocks. They lost on the edge some. But most importantly, from my point of view, was the Ravens were not able to stop the Steelers from pulling by getting penetration in the center of the line. And Brandon Williams was missing, and that was the biggest reason for it. So you see all of these easy combination blocks being made by the Steelers up front, allowing DeCastro to pull from left to right, for a tight end to pull from left, sorry, from right to left. Um, and and it's just it makes you miserable just to watch the thing, but I, I don't expect that Brandon Williams is going to allow that to happen this time. Nor nor will Pierce uh, when paired with him. So you're not going to watch uh, the Week Four game this week to prepare? No, I, I'm I'm going to well, let it let right. it ride. Leave leave that to Dev to rewatch for his game plan or battle plans. Yeah. Yeah, we need to get Dev on. That was a really good show last week, and I, uh, we need to try and get again get him on again when we can. Yeah, yeah, no, that would be uh, that'd be great. Um, all right, well, that's that's exciting, and we always worry about the Ravens overlooking whoever they play before the before the Steelers because that game gets so much hype, and it's good for the Ravens that the week before the Steelers tonight have to play the Bengals. So they're not overlooking that game. They, they've got a, a, a tough couple of weeks that hopefully we can squeeze one out of them. Right, it's it's a very big, and then they play the Patriots the following week. So it's it's right. the Ravens Steelers fans are officially scared if they lose this game to the Bengals tonight. They might try and act tough, but they're officially scared because they've got the they'll have the Ravens coming up. The Ravens have looked like a completely different team. If the Ravens go in there and win, and they all know that the history between the Ravens and Steelers is for close games, then the division is very much in the balance. Right, 
and and they could lose it uh, with the game against New England. So, right. Uh, and yeah. let, let's get to that. Uh, a bunch of questions on Twitter were coming in today about that whole tiebreaker situation and, oh, and okay, great. the Ravens' playoffs chances. So we'll get to that at the end of the show because suddenly – a couple of weeks ago, you know how it goes. Everyone was negative and fire Harbaugh, fire, get rid of Flacco, this, that. I think we all still agree to get rid of Marty, but we can put that on hold for now. Uh-huh. Uh, and now all of a sudden, we feel like we're in the driver's seat for this playoff uh, position. And yesterday, I even mentioned to some people that, man, if the Steelers lose to the Bengals, we've got a shot for the division. And people laughed at me. But if the Steelers <laughs> lose to the Bengals tonight... Things get really interesting in the next few weeks. Yeah, they, they do. And, and unfortunately, they get interesting in some difficult ways, too, if the Steelers lose to the Bengals. So it, it might be better for the Ravens' wildcard chances. In fact, it definitely is better for the Ravens' wildcard chances if, they, uh, if the Bengals lose this game. But because it's so much better for the divisional chances and because the divisional chance is worth so much in terms of getting a home game, I still think it's worth it for the... Uh, if the for the Ravens to have the Bengals win tonight, right? And well, yeah, because you're not the type of guy who's like me who's going to be rooting for injuries. <laughs> that that will be what I root for tonight. Knowing that I never want the Steelers to win helps me cheer for the Bengals tonight. But come on, I'm really rooting for injuries. At, at, uh, getting each team a little banged up is the normal uh, is the normal amount to root for. So okay, uh, we we don't want to have a completely unfatigued. Uh, Pittsburgh team to play on Sunday. Let's put it that way. Right. I want some some sore ribs, uh, maybe a little hesitation there. Come in soft. That's what I'm hoping for next week. So whatever you uh, got to do to bang them up. Um, but I, I, you know what? I do want. I want Ben Roethlisberger still in the game because Steeler backup quarterbacks tear us apart. Yeah, they have at times. They certainly uh, have not won all the time, and that's one of the complaints the Steelers have is that. You know, the Ravens always get to play the Steelers' backup quarterback, and so none of the records count, ever. But right. Steelers fans have the funniest thing. I mean, I'm not saying the Ravens don't do it, too. As an organization, if you look at the Ravens' media guide, everything began in the year 2000. Okay, stop doing that. Okay, it's, it's, it's so stupid to do that. Start in 1996, live with the first four years. The, the Ravens still lead, for example, in shutouts since the Ravens first came into the league with 13. Don't try and make everything since 2000. Not home record, not any of that crap. I just, I really don't appreciate it. I don't like it, and, and it makes us look weak and stupid. And the Steelers have been doing it forever because the Steelers organization, if you talk to any Steelers fan, did not even begin until the Steel Curtain arrived. All right. Before, before they first made their playoff appearance in 72, which is like 40 years into the organization's history, nothing counts. And, and that, that's always been amusing to me, too. Right, right. The Baltimore Orioles started five years ago, right? Yeah, that's right. Um, let's get back to this game and, and the dime defense because we saw more of the dime yesterday, and that continues to work for Dean Pease. Oh, boy. So, yeah, it, that's one, obviously one thing I've been critical about for years. We're not going to go rehash that because we've heard it all right. before. If he you've finally, been to this he show. finally came around to your, here, to your <laughs> type of thinking. You but, convinced but him. Anyway, 24 dime snaps out of 61 versus the Lions, and for the first time this year, the dime was the plurality defense, meaning they played it more than any other defense, but still not 50% of the time. Okay? Yep. So anyway, they, the, they only allowed four yards per play in the dime, but 6.1 overall. I didn't actually try and look at it separately to see, but it's probably around over eight yards per play anyway, maybe eight and a half uh, with non-dime defenses. So okay. it made all the difference for the Ravens to do that. And uh, they got all three sacks and all three turnovers with the dime on the field. Uh, Chuck Clark and Anthony Levine split the duty. So we can talk a little bit about that later. We can talk about it now. Maybe now is better, actually. Yeah, let's take care of it. Okay, so Anthony Levine played 17 snaps, and he was outstanding. Uh, He, and I'll make sure I have the number correct here. Uh, Yes, Anthony Levine played 17 snaps, and against Detroit, he had, I want to get this out because I want to get it right, they ran the ball for 0.8 yards per play and passed for 2.5 yards per play when he was in for 2.1 overall. Okay, so that's in a game where the where Detroit was getting 6.1 yards per play. With Levine on the field, it was only 2.1 yards per play. Now, that's the package doing it, but Levine is making outstanding individual contributions as well. In this game, he had, he had several of those. We, if you want to go and look play-by-play, play, I've got more information out on the website, and that'll allow you to go through with Game Pass and, and do it at the same time. So we don't go play-by-play play at this. Clark also came in, and he played 
nine snaps. Not every one of those were dime. I believe it was seven dime snaps and then two on the back end at safety also on that last drive. Now, they, they didn't do as well on a yards per play basis, but Clark made some good plays himself, including getting a big pressure, which allowed Suggs then to clean up with his sack. So that was a very nice individual contribution he made, and I'm, uh, I'm excited to see what he can do, and I think he's one of the options for the Ravens have to replace Levine in the dime when Levine finally can't do it anymore or if Levine gets hurt. So uh, exciting to have two players able to do the job. That's, that's exciting. Yeah, definitely. Um, all right, let's get to the players, and here's where we pick out just uh, a few guys to talk about and how they did. And let's start with Austin Henry. Well, it's Willie Henry we're, oh, we're talking about here. Yeah, I, Austin Howard on the offense, we, but that's cool. And why would I pay attention? <laughs> he played 42 snaps in this game, and he is just the Iron Man now of this defensive line. So he, he was the kid nobody wanted last year, did not get activated for a single game, and it was IR'd midway through the year. Uh, then this year, he was IR'd, for, sorry, not IR'd, deactivated for the first two games before he finally started playing. So he's only he's only dealing right now with a 10-game career, and he's already the Ravens' Iron Man in terms of snaps. So the Lions, because they played so much dime, and also because there were a lot of other passing situations where the Ravens had two, men, two defensive linemen on the field in the nickel, Willie Henry played an awful lot of snaps in this game. So he played 42, and he made contributions all over the place. I'm sure you saw he scooped the forced fumble from Weddle on Weddle's sack and picked that up and yes. ran it back 16 yards. He... Had a nice bull to blow up a run play. That's midway through the second quarter. I got times in the article if you want to go check this out. He had a beautiful sniff out on a screen pass where he took down Riddick for a loss of four. I love that one. And then he delivered a quarterback hit on Stafford as he was throwing the game-sealing interception to Humphrey. And I mentioned Smith had a pressure earlier on that play, but then Henry delivered the knockout blow as the ball was thrown and also uh, hurt Stafford's hand and knocked him out of the game. So very imposing player at this point already, and he's only in his second year and get very excited. If you're buying a jersey, think Willie Henry. He's one of the good choices. Marlon Humphrey is too, but Willie Henry is another good one. All right. Um, you got Rickert here in your notes. I didn't even realize he had a snap this week. Clearly, yeah, so he got, we're going to talk about him on Wednesday because he got his first touchdown, yeah. but, he, but he's been on the offensive side of the ball for many weeks. Yes, so he hadn't played an offensive snap since October 15th. He came in for the last play of the game to play on the defensive line. He did the same thing at Cincinnati in the opener. He just played one snap. I think they just kind of want to maybe remind him or he wants to you know, have a defensive snap every once in a while to remind the other people that he can still play the defensive line. But uh, one thing about Ricard is he looks smaller to me now than he did before. He's a still effective blocker, but he looks like he might have trimmed down to maybe about 285, 288 pounds. And he's not, he doesn't really weigh 300 anymore. So uh, he's a big, thick guy, obviously, but he's just not the, not the enormous guy he was when he was trying to be a nose tackle. All right. Um, is Bowser improving, I hope? Yeah, 10 snaps in this last game. So he, had, he hasn't had 10 snaps in too many games. All right, you know, coming out of that since, doghouse. Yeah, coming out of that doghouse. And he had two really nice plays. So he flushed Stafford from the pocket, and that was the play where he drove him out of the pocket and, and he had to run out of bounds because Levine forced him out a yard beyond the line of scrimmage. Effectively, that's a sack for a loss for a gain of one. That's the way to think of that. Okay. Play. It's certainly not what they wanted. It's just a sack for a gain of one, so it's not technically a sack. So, But anyway, very good play there. The other was he drew a holding call on Decker with 30 seconds left in the half. Actually, I think it might have been 28 seconds. Suggs took Stafford down for another sack plus one on that play. Same exact situation. He was driven out of the pocket, and, and, and Suggs took him down. But you can't underestimate or understate the value of the option that the Ravens had from that holding call. So if they, if they had completed a play, even if it's 50 yards, what's well, coming back for the holding call? If, and if they needed it, they would have had it. So anyway, it's one of the reasons why I charge... Uh, offensive linemen pretty heavily on penalties because they can be declined and and if they can uh, then they have uh, they can give the other team significant option value in terms of think of it as giving them a free play all right well that, that works um, Judon he, he was again he's um, starting to become my favorite guy to watch on the on the field because he plays hard um, he got a sack how'd Judon do yeah, so he, he got a fairly fast sack driving right by the right tackle on the play. He also drew a holding call, 
that, that was on Robinson, and that would have been his second sack of the game because he was there. And then he had a PD in the backfield, which was also a nice play, but it got it got negated when Henry roughed the passer. So Henry, I think it probably was a fair roughing the passer call. He ran into him late. He didn't he didn't put his head into him, and he, but he didn't go low, up. but he but he hit him a little late. Yeah. All right. Uh, Mosley scared us when he went and went down for a little bit and went in the uh, concussion protocol. Yeah, so the, I, I thought it was the ankle. Concussion protocol is bad, obviously. Either either is bad. Any any potential mistime for Mosley is terrible. Right right now, though, I'm telling you, even though the Ravens would, would drop so much in terms of the quality of play without Mosley, Mosley himself is not making enough plays. Uh, I, you know, I've got him in my notes, and I know a lot of his value comes in coverage, so you, you know, some of the value I'm not seeing before I look at the all-22 footage. So okay. I hopefully I'll, when I look at that, I'll see that he was in great coverage and he was a lot of the reason why you know Stafford couldn't get rid of the ball on time or whatever. But what I'm seeing is more he's getting beaten coverage a couple different times or two times in this game or that he's getting blocked on run plays and is unable to get off those. And that's something earlier in his career when Suggs named him half man, half amazing. And now he still calls him amazing. Uh, you know, it's just it's it's he's not making as many of those plays this year, and he's he's kind of having a down year. I haven't talked about him in my article for several weeks because I've been trying to you know watch and hope it'll get right. better and whatnot. But I'm I, it's it's very concerning. Well, especially when it's a guy who we need him to be the next Ray Lewis. There you go. I mean, he's he, he's the glue that holds the defense together, and even playing at just a mediocre level like he is, he's still that. And the, the, you know, the Ravens would lose tremendously if he wasn't there. But you're right. I mean, he's their defensive signal caller. And one thing Bill James used to say is, it's generally not a good thing when your leadership comes from from players who are not performing at the highest level. So he'd say the best leadership comes from the best players. Right, right. Speaking of the best players, can we get on and stop talking about maybe Terrell Suggs is retiring? He's playing some outstanding football. <laughs> it's just, I, I, you know, you keep looking at the calendar and trying to figure out what the hell is this guy doing still on a football field right. at his age, but. Uh, he, you know, he had five tackles against the run. Five tackles, period, and they weren't little tackles. The gains were two zero two one and minus eight in terms of yardage. So, it, there were significant tackles in this game. Um, he had a holding call that he drew, and uh, you know, he he denied a conversion at the end of the first half that we already talked about. So, uh, great game from Terrell Sucks. I actually think I'm I'm wrong on the holding call. I think that was in the previous game that he did that. So I don't want to improperly credit that, uh-huh. but that was against the Texans. But still, great game for Terrell. All right. And then uh, you mentioned earlier that the Ravens are going to have to rely on Kennedy. Um, sure. Do so, you yeah, want to expand on how he's been playing? Absolutely. So he's been playing in the slot, and Webb and he are each getting some snaps. And it looks like Webb usually plays in the nickel, and Kennedy comes in in the dime. But then after a certain point in the game, they're just playing Kennedy all the time in the slot. So he got 35 snaps, which is career high in this last game. They were all at slot corner. Um, he played all 24 of the dime snaps. And the Ravens allowed just four yards per play when he was in, which is coincidentally the amount that they gave up during the dime. Um, he didn't give up any significant pass plays uh, personally. And one of the big turning points that people don't look at was early in this game. The Ravens led this game just three to nothing. Mosley was taken off the field. And so the, the Ravens were playing with Correa and Owasu at inside linebacker on a third and, uh, third and ten play. And they rushed both of them. I'm sorry, it was Owasu and Levine. I'm sorry, Correa and Levine who were on the field. So they rushed both of them as part of a six-man rush package, and that left Kennedy all alone in a wide-open space with with, uh, Golden Tate, and he stayed with him and took him down for only two yak to deny that conversion. The Ravens then, uh, sorry, the Lions then missed the field goal, and the Ravens turned it around and drove for a touchdown, and that ended up being really the turning point in the game. Ravens were up 10-0, and the Ravens this year have never lost a lead of more than three points. So, it looked that, that 10 to nothing league was feeling pretty good at that point. All right. Um, uh, speaking of leaving guys in the back, I was surprised to see Carr up front on some of these run stops. Yeah, you know, that was that's a good point because Carr came to the team over the offseason without a real pedigree as a physical run stopper. And by the way, that's the reason Carr has been able to stay on the field all these years. He's He basically has never missed a start. It's basically because he doesn't involve himself in the run game. And McAllister was the same way, but we saw him have two very good run stops 
in this game, one in Q1, one in Q3 for gains of zero and two. And he also had good coverage on two of the long throws down the right sideline. So he still is a, a, a good boundary defender in that regard. So there's, there are two of them. They're both in quarter one. Times are out there on the website. Please take a look. Um, I didn't make one negative note about Carr the entire game. So I, you know, I looked through and I, I you know, uh, Maureen and I probably write down about 60, 70 things about the game as we're going through, but there wasn't one negative note about Carr. That's all right. Good. Um, I guess we can transition with negative notes. And Humphrey seemed yeah. to really struggle until he got that interception at the end. And then did he redeem himself? Well, he certainly redeemed himself with the interception. That sealed the game. So anything that happened previously, it, it was all his demerits are wiped out for that. All right. but, but, it, but in truth, Humphrey had a pretty good game even without that. Uh, he did miss a tackle early on, and that's something that, that you don't want to see. But the three long plays, one of them was really dropped in the bucket, and he couldn't have done anything about it, and that was the throw to Roberts. But, uh, but he also um, uh, had gave up those two long plays where he's out of position. We talked about that early, so I don't feel like I need to go into that again. And, and then he also had great bracket coverage with Weddle. So he was on the underneath side when Weddle got that near pick on the back of the end zone where he couldn't get yeah. his feet down. Okay, so that, that was a good play. He had another nice play where he took down Jones for a gain of one on a, I guess you'd call it a swing pass on the left side. Uh, he hung on for dear life, and that guy eventually help, help arrived and flattened him. But uh, very nice play there by Humphrey. Right. Um, you mentioned Weddle couldn't get his feet down on that interception, but he got another interception in, like, uh, pretty open field. Yeah, so it was a weird situation because on, you, you remember the play. Kennedy... Came off the slot by blitz, delivered a quarterback hit to the court uh, uh, just as the ball was thrown, and the ball was thrown up in a completely open space on the field. It's almost like he intended it, and it was Rudock in the game at that point intended it to be intentional grounding. Okay, but somehow all of a sudden Weddle's over there in a spot in the field where there's nobody within 15 yards of him. And so I think two things might have happened. One is he read the quarterback's eyes and figured out he's going to throw it away, so he got to the spot. The other thing is I think he read the quarterback hit and said he might he might leave it short. Let me be here. And it was just in the perfect spot to, to collect that ball directly. I've never seen anything like it in terms of somebody being that far from anybody else and getting an interception. Especially, you know, you occasionally see a, a center fielder making a play like that where the quarterback thinks he's overthrown everybody and the center fielder is back there to take it. But but just in, in a relatively short area, you right. know, off to the right side, it's very weird. And, and obviously he went right in for for six, and that closed the scoring, and it sent anybody home happy. All right. Um, let's get to our defensive MVPs. And uh, I'll start with my number three is I'm giving it to Dean Pease because I thought he called a really good game defensively, and I'd like seeing more dime in there. Yeah, outstanding game from Dean. Can't agree more. And I we've, you know, I think that he gets a lot of of uh, flack in the media. I, you know, there are some things I would like to see done a little bit differently, but the big one is being done dif- differently this year, and that's that he's playing lots of dime, and he is not trying to do this. And I hope that, that in future years he won't go back to the dime, even if they have a linebacker they think can cover a little bit. But uh, but anyway, we are where we are. I, I'm just uh, soapboxing on that. My number three guy, Maurice Kennedy. Terrific game here. I mean, it was really a juggling match to figure out where Kennedy should should belong, whether he should be one, two, or three in this game. I finally decided on number three. All right. Uh, my number two, I'm giving it to Humphrey because of that game seal and interception. I have concerns that uh, Ben Roethlisberger is going to take advantage of him a little bit, but hopefully now uh, a week preparing he'll be okay. Well, you know what? Humphrey's played so well this year. I, I don't have any fear about where he's going to be. I didn't include him in my top three, but... Uh, but I agree that, that uh, I, I think it could really be an asset against Roethlisberger. And if Roethlisberger decides he wants to, wants to pick on Humphrey, I think Humphrey could pick him as well. All right. So I, I have Terrell Suggs as my number two guy. Big game again. And ten and a half sacks now in 12 games. I just – I it boggles the mind. One of the good things, if the Ravens make the playoffs, Suggs is either a sack or a sack and a half short. I think it's a sack short of Willie McGinnis for the all-time playoff sack record. It'd be really nice to see him get that. All right. I think there's a good chance he'll get that, but uh, we'll see. Uh, my number one is Willie Henry, simply for the fact that I love to see big guys run with the football. 
Yeah. You know what? We, we, we heard that crap last year, remember, when Harbaugh was upset with Jernigan. Right, because he, he didn't just fall. Because yeah. he didn't just fall on the ball, and he yes. ran into the end zone, and then he ran it out, and then he fumbled against the Jets, and that cost us the ball game, or it may, might have cost us right. the ball game. But when it works, everyone cheers. But when it works, everyone cheers, and, you know, it's, don't take it, don't take it to get a nice shot. <laughs> so, yeah, we, nah. we live where we are. So, anyway, Eric Weddle, my number one guy. Uh Two, involved in two turnovers, great, great bracket coverage on the back end. He nearly had an interception in the end zone. And then he also nearly had an interception when Humphrey made the pick. Humphrey kind of took it away from him uh, by drifting backwards from bracket coverage and, uh, and making that play. So it could have been a three-pick game for Weddle if everything had gone just right there. All right. Uh, now it's mailbag time. And uh, we got a few questions here before we get to the uh, playoff tiebreakers situation uh first one comes in from bmd who says ken is there any scope to bring tyrad oh this that's an old one. i'm reading meant to read the top one i'm guessing no that's last week there he is i knew i had one from him his question is not as good as the previous <laughs> questions he asked it is does josh regret his bowser jersey purchase purchased after he whiffed on an easy sna- sack he really whiffed <laughs> on that play i thought he was getting that sack and he whiffed uh i don't regret it yet but there are some other Guys, I wish I spent money on their jerseys instead. Um, All right, so so who would you buy instead at this point? Who, if, you, if they'd let you trade your Bowser jersey in, who would you get? I think Humphrey's Humphrey's a good one. Okay, right now, um, I don't know. We don't know how long Jimmy Smith is is sticking around, and Humphrey's the future there. It appears. Good call. All right, has Patrick Oswalder earned these? to start next to Mosley beyond this season, or should the Ravens consider that position a mid to high priority need this offseason? This is from Dustin Cox. Right. So great question, Dustin. And I'll, I'll tell you where I see. I think the Ravens must draft an inside linebacker next year for a lot of reasons. But they, they really cannot afford to have the thinness of depth that they have, even if Wasu is their guy, to start next year. So if they, I don't have any round specificity to that, but it wouldn't bother me if they went as high as the second or third round. I would prefer if they did not use their first round pick on a linebacker. But if what best player available is, you know, the great inside linebacker, and that's who drops to them at number thirty-two, we hope, then uh, then by all means pick that linebacker. Right. Yeah. They always do that best best player available. So, uh, Minion Hunter asks with the open ends of prime. Uh, GM slots this year. Is there any chance that Eric leaves? And I guess Eric DaCosta? That's right. So there's been talk about that for years, and I think there are a couple things going on. One is that Eric is married, I believe, to a doctor who uh, locally. And so, you know, it's, it's a, it's a two-income household and whatnot. But beyond that, uh, DaCosta was given a big salary bump by Bishotti, who's very good at managing talent. And, and the idea is his his not official title, but his official status when the organization is general manager in waiting. So I think he'd be foolish to actually take the extra risk to be a general manager somewhere else, you know, when he's got a lot of the benefits salary-wise here and will also get it at some point when when Ozzy leaves. So uh, I I like, you know, I I think I like the chances to keep Eric for next year. Yeah, and and the Ravens make it clear that they value him and have promised him that, that job title at some point. Mm-hmm. Um, Rob McDonald asks, why did Harbs uh, put Rickert in for reps on D at the end of the game this week? Rickert seems like an offensive weapon that you'd want to keep focused on playing halfback. Is there any value in flip-flopping him? Uh, that's a really good question, Rob. I mean, value, probably not. I mean, my guess is Ricard probably wanted to play a little bit more on defense. The, the risk comes for the Ravens when they get an injury on the defensive line against a team that likes to run the ball. And then they, they, they will only have five guys active, including Ricard, on the defensive line. So they'll be down to four, and they can't give every single snap to the other three guys. They're going to have to rely on him to play some. And that's exactly what happened against the Bears in week six when he got 19 snaps, is that they got an injury. I think it was um, Carl Davis early in that game went out, and they had to have somebody else come in and pick up some snaps because the Bears were running two back sets the whole game. So Ricard played significantly. So that's what they want him for is that emergency usage on the defensive line. Okay. And who knows, maybe he's a guy who he likes to be out there on that defensive side of the ball. And when he, he – he's obviously they're giving him a game ball because he scored his first touchdown. So you let him have some fun when the game's out of hand and go ahead. You can You can – Get some time out there. 
Sure thing. Um, all right, let's get to these tiebreakers. We, we, we talked about tonight's Monday Night Football, which for many people after they listen about to this, they'll know whether or not the Steelers won or the Bengals won. So let's talk about these tiebreaker scenarios that might be an issue for the Ravens. Sure. Do you have some specific? Was there a specific question that came up on the well, topic? Well, I, I know. Talk about it a little bit? I know that you have an article out on Russell Street Report, so I thought you could catch us up on that because my understanding is that if the Ravens continue to win, they're in the playoffs. Uh, yeah. First of all, let's start with if the Ravens go eleven and five, they're guaranteed to be in the playoffs. If the Ravens go ten and six, they're in the playoffs, except for one bizarre and incredibly unlikely scenario involving the Buffalo Bills. So it's not even worth worrying about. I'll so, so it's, if the Bills went out as well, so the Bills would have to win out, and then and then uh, some right. would have to fall to strength of victory, and the the Ravens would have to. No, the Bills would have to win out. The Ravens would have to have a specific loss. Okay. Also, the Ravens have to beat Pittsburgh and then lose to one of the common opponents, which means they have to lose to, to either the... Cincinnati or to Indianapolis but beat the Steelers. So it's very unlikely okay. that a combination of things would happen. Right. And and if that did, then they could lose a, a tiebreaker to, to Buffalo at 10-6. and six. Okay. Uh, um, and, and the only way they lose a tiebreaker anyway beyond that is it has to go to strength of victory. So anyway, I, I, we don't need to spend any more time on that, but there are right. a host of teams involved. What I'll say is basically this. Don't worry about 10-6. and six. The Ravens are definitely in. Worry about 9-7 and because that's the place where tiebreakers are going to matter. And there are a number of teams involved in the tiebreaker hunt at nine and seven and uh, uh, basically Miami can get there but there's about a roughly a zero percent chance of it happening if they do get there they don't have head-to-head -head against the Ravens um, you know what I'm gonna do this is material that really is not well suited to go through individually team by team what I'd like people to do is go online and look at the thing I'll leave you with this though the Ravens to increase their wild card hopes want the Bengals to lose tonight. The Ravens to increase their divisional hopes want the Steelers to win tonight. Sorry, to want the Steelers want the right division. Did I say that wrong? If the Bengals win, we have a shot at the division. If the Steelers yeah. win, we have a we have a good shot at the at the uh, wild card. That's right. What you said, and then and then we'll go, we'll talk about the other. Uh, situation. I hopefully will let you read it because it's extremely complex in terms of how the tiebreakers work online on my article and it involves all but four of the AFC teams. There's only four teams that are out at this point and the rest are uh, are still in the game. All right. And, the, and the, the truth is it really comes down to ask me next week because what the Steelers do tonight and what the Ravens and Steelers do on Sunday night are big th things about how this season's going to play out. Yeah, I, I agree with that, but I also want to tell people if you're if that's your attitude, please don't read my tiebreaker article because my tiebreaker article is a is for people who want to understand what are all the possibilities no, now and not defer the decision making. So oh no no still uh, go read the article because I want to know what it is now. But yeah. as I mean it's it's normal football as each week goes on, we can cross more things off those those options. That's that's true, and then we may have to unfortunately expand down to strength of victory. Right now, I've only covered the top three. Yeah, strength of, the, strength uh, of victory gets that gets confusing, and let's hope <laughs> let's hope it doesn't come down to strength of victory. Indeed, let's let's hope for that. Uh, but I bet those shutouts would help with strength of victory. They it's it's dependent upon how many wins your opponents had. So you're it's it's that you that you beat. So that's what right. strength of victory is. Okay, gotcha. Um, all right, Ken. People should go on over to Russell Street Report and read that article. Um, you also have your breakdown for the defense up right now. Yes, it's out there now, and so the podcast will be will be uh, have this out tomorrow, and hopefully you'll download it and take it to work, and and also subscribe. What else should they do, Josh, about the podcast? Uh, write us a review on iTunes. Subscribe. Tell your friends. Write us a review. It's three simple things, and uh, and follow us on Twitter at Film Study Ravens and at Josh Soroka, and just. Keep spreading the word. Uh, we're having a lot of fun doing this. It's growing, mm -hmm. and it's exciting to, to see it, it grow. Yeah, it, it, it sure is. I didn't realize how many downloads we had, but Josh showed me how to look at that last week, and, and uh, very happy. Yeah, uh, we've got a contingency that really intrigues me at the Cherry Point Marine Base down in North Carolina. And at I, Cherry Point, thanks for listening. Yeah, and, and send me a message because I'm really intrigued by, by who's down there listening. Um. Because someone is, and my brother-in-law is stationed down there, 
and he doesn't know anyone down there who's listening. <laughs> but I know someone is, and it's not him. Yeah, uh, we'd love to have your mailbag question right. down from Cherry Point, yeah. too, especially. Yeah, send me a message. Um, all right, and then, all right, and then my show is Section 336, Baltimore Sports Talk. Uh, this week we'll talk a little bit about the Orioles and their soft, quiet offseason. A lot of people upset with Dan Duquette, but he has signed a bunch of minor league pitchers, so he's done a little bit something that we'll talk about. Um, as well as we'll talk about the Ravens' victory, a little more lighthearted than when you and I really dig into it. So we'll probably focus more on Flacco eating the W, and that's about the creepiest video I've ever seen on the internet. Yes! <laughs> All right, Ken. Well, we will speak on Wednesday about the offense. The been thinking about McDonald's all day. Can't get it off my mind. I can already taste it. Ooh, got my mind on my mouth and my mouth ready for some Mickey D's deal. There's a deal for every moment at McDonald's. Right now, get two of your favorites for just $3.50. Mix and match a classic McChicken, a hot and spicy McChicken, or a juicy McDouble. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with combo meal. Single item at regular price. Some cars are comfy on the inside but don't have power on the outside. And some cars have the horsepower, but none of the comfort. I used to think there weren't any cars that were the total package. But that all changed when I got my Honda SUV. It's rugged and sophisticated. And right now, Honda has deals on the entire Honda SUV lineup. CRV, HRV, Pilot, Passport, you name it. So if you're looking for a car that's the total package, the only place you'll find it is at your local Honda dealer. Hurry before they're all gone. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.